Senator Andrag, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for inviting me. Wonderful. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. And this is a new, um, a new section, a new group that we're calling Getting to Know You. So this is just for Utahns, everyday Utahns, to get to know their legislators a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your district and where you're located. Yeah, so I'm uh, Senate District 13, which is northwest Utah County and southwest Salt Lake County. Uh, most of my district is in Utah County, uh, but I do take in about a third of Harriman and a small section of Bluffdale. Um, so it's, it's Eagle Mountain, Cedar Fort, uh, Saratoga Springs, Lehigh, small section of American Fork and Highland. And then all the way down to Santa Quin, the north end of Santa Quin. So um, I'm the west side of Utah Lake and arguably the fastest growing district in the United States. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So have you lived there your whole life or where do you originate from? So I am a native Utahn, but I am not originally from Lehigh. I uh, was uh, born in Salt Lake City and raised in Sandy, right up at the mouth of Little Cottonwood Canyon. So uh, I spent a, a, most of my youth up those canyons, Bells Canyon, Little Cottonwood, Big Cottonwood, skiing, snowboarding, uh, rock climbing, a lot of rock climbing. And uh, that's home for me. But we moved to Lehigh uh, back in 2000. So we've been here 20 years now. And uh, it's just a great place to raise a family. That's awesome. So why did you decide to run for election? I think I must have been drunk at first. <laughs> um, now, I, truth is, is I, I kind of got involved with politics back in 2000 uh, when a buddy of mine invited me to, you know, run, uh, you know, to come to the local caucus meeting. So that kind of set me up on being a delegate, you know, for the next 10 years. And uh, I was a precinct chair, vice chair, county delegate, state delegate. Anyhow, Long story short, in 2010 with redistricting, uh, the 2012 election cycle had new, new maps. Everything was drawn. And so at that time, I had gotten so involved that I had worked on Senator Mike Lee's campaign and then afterwards was hired by Senator Lee as his Northern Utah director. So I was, I was here in the state office. And in 2012, this house district that I live in, House District 6, became available. It was an uncontested seat. So there was no incumbent. Those don't come around very often. And after consulting with Senator Lee, I, I felt like there was probably um, a good opportunity for me to run and, and be successful. So that's what I did. I had five Republicans run against me, and I was elected in 2012 and started serving in the House in 2013. So I don't, I never like thought, hey, I'm going to go and be a politician. That was never in my cards. I just kind of fell into getting involved. And then once I was involved, I realized that there was a lot that I could do. And um, then with redistricting, the opportunity came and I decided to jump on it. So I served for four years in the house and now I've just completed, or this December, this is the end of my fourth year in the Senate. So eight years total in the legislature, and I've just won re-election for another four years to the Senate. So that's well, how I got involved. Now that you've finished your first full term as a senator, which do you prefer? Senate, hands down. <laughs> you know, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. Yeah, it, please do. Quite literally, you know, uh, the House, you've got 75 members. 
which means you got to get 38 uh, members to kind of control the direction of where the house goes, which ultimately can control the direction of the entire legislature, which can you know control what policy is done for the state. Getting 38 people to agree though is not easy. And when you're in the Senate, especially if you're like I am, a member of the majority caucus, you know, there's 23 majority members out of 29 positions. So there's only six Democrats. So even though you need 38 votes in the House, 15 votes in the Senate, and one vote from the governor to pass anything, it only takes 11 votes in a closed caucus in the Senate to kill anything. And that's quite a bit more power than I had in the House as far as being able to control the direction of where we head as a state. So what I hear you saying is that the Senate is just simply easier to manage than the House might be. It's easier to manage, but it's also a um, little bit more deliberative. I am less uh, susceptible to um, loud minority voices within the district. And so uh, it's easier to weigh uh, positions and not feel so threatened that if I vote the wrong way, someone's gonna vote me out because they disagreed with me on that one issue. House members are much more subjected to that and senators are much less subjected to that, so. Yeah, for sure. So our legislature is part-time and most people have a job outside of the legislature. What are you doing right now? Well, all legal stuff, I swear. No, um, what I'm doing is I, I'm the vice president of community development at Zions Bank. And uh, ultimately what that entails is I network. Um, I use my connections uh, that I forged either in the private sector or through politics to open doors on projects. So ultimately what I do is, you know, the executive vice president over treasury wants to know who I know at, you know, ABC corporation. Oh, well, I know so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Let's set up a lunch and I put this person together with this person. And, it, you know, if a deal is made, the deal is made. And if not, I got them in the same room together. So that's, that's what I get paid for. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, let me see. What has been your favorite part of your service so far? Um, you know, I would say that the service itself is, is a very rewarding experience and also a very challenging experience. I will say this, it, it doesn't happen very often, once or twice every session, where, you know, so many of the bills you discuss are kind of keeping the lights on and making sure someone gets paid and, you know, just the logistics of keeping a government running. There is, there's a bill of real substance that really is going to affect the population at large. And every once in a while, you'll, you'll even see it if you pay close attention where normally when you're on the Senate floor and people are discussing, you know, you're having the debate, but while you're having the debate, you know, people are talking to each other and there's just kind of this low rumble that happens on the floor. But every once in a while, the, the, the atmosphere changes and everybody shuts up and everyone really listens. And you really engage in a very thorough discussion about principles. And at those times, there's just a really neat feeling that comes into that chamber. And, um, and I think we get the policy right. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't happen very often, but once or twice every session, you just, you know, that the action you take is really um, benefiting the citizens of the state. And that's, that's just a really neat 
experience a really neat feeling. That's wonderful. So speaking of things quieting down the chambers, <laughs> uh, we're all experiencing this lovely coronavirus pandemic, which we're doing in various different ways and why we're recording completely apart right now. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you think or what you see the legislature doing for Utahns moving forward. With the COVID? Well, I think that, uh, I think that we are committed, as is the governor and the governor-elect, to make sure that we strike the appropriate balance of uh, of self-discipline as well as government intervention for safety protocols, wearing your masks, while at the same time striking that balance to what's happening in the economy. Um, there, there can be and will be effective ways to maintain safeties to, to help halt the spread uh, of, of the virus while at the same time not uh, causing segments within our economy uh, going into bankruptcy and foreclosures and whatnot. And some, you know, not only do we have the fear of the spread and not only do we have the deaths that are occurring and we're at a precarious spot where we may all of a sudden get to a point where we have more people seeking hospitalization than can obtain services. We're not there yet, but we're close. If we get to that point, the death rate's gonna super spike. Right now, the death rate is actually on par with deaths due to heart disease, believe it or not. If we somehow don't have enough services for those who are in critical conditions, you know, the ICUs, uh, the death rate will spike. And that's what we're desperately trying to avoid. So the difficult thing is to, is to balance that with the needs of the economy as well as the needs of society. Um, our domestic violence rates have quadrupled. Uh, our suicide rates have, have uh, eight times increased. So not only is the pandemic affecting those who actually get sick and, and have critical needs associated with it, but those that are under a new situation because of the restrictions under the pandemic, we've got to take those into account as well. Uh, we met last, not last week, but the week before with the governor and with the governor elect, and we are absolutely committed that moving forward, we will have and continue to implement the policies in place that can help us transition through this period of time until a vaccine is readily available. Um, uh, I was surprised to hear yesterday that the vaccines are already becoming available uh, next week here in the state of Utah for the first round, which is going to be primarily uh, medical care uh, professionals, as well as those of, of critical, uh, um, the most vulnerable populations. And then the next phase will be sometimes towards the end of January. And then the next phase will be sometimes towards the beginning of March. And um, I was actually surprised to learn that if we can get to a 70% immunity factor, we can create a herd, uh, what's called herd immunity. And if that happens, that could happen, could, you know, we'll see, but it could happen as early as mid-May, in which case that would make uh, this novel virus of very little effect going forward. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, but we have to figure out how to navigate between here and there. And one, one of the most immediate factors is that the CARES Act money runs out, has to be spent by the end of December. And the moratorium on evictions for people that you know are renting ends on the 30th of December. 
and until the Biden administration, I'm just going to, I'm a Republican, but I'm going to say Biden's the president. Okay. So <laughs> let's move on. But, you know, January 20th is the earliest he can engage to actually affect change on, on a moratorium or anything like that. So we've got about a, a month window where um, evictions could be a serious problem. So that's, uh, I'm the chair of the Affordable Housing Commission, and that is something that's the most prevalent in my mind of, of what I'm trying to do to help statewide intervene to fill that gap until uh, we can see if there's any additional federal assistance. So. So you're the chair of the Affordable Housing Commission, and you're also really, really big into transportation and like making mass transit work in, in growing cities and states. So I, I kind of question your party alliance here just a smidge. You seem, you seem very invested in making sure that, you know, there's a social safety net that's applicable to everybody, especially right now. Yeah, I, I think what I'm finding, well, let me just say my, my true ideology underpinnings are more libertarian than they are, you know, dyed in the wool Republican. Uh, I am a Republican and not a libertarian because I can't get to the extremes of the libertarian party. Like I, I'm not for recreational drug use. I'm not for legalized prostitution. Um, but by and large, 80% of what a libertarian feels is kind of where I sit. And so um, that tends to be fiscally conservative, but rather socially progressive um, to a large extent with you know, certain limitations. But what, what that ultimately means to me is I have a, I'm very pragmatic and pragmatically, my district is growing at just under a 6% growth rate last year. So I can't afford from a conservative fiscal conservative standpoint to wait eight to 10 years before we get the honey bucket of money that gets passed around the state for transportation. I can't wait a decade. And the last thing I want is to have my ideology stand in the way of practical application. I, I don't want, you know, 10 years from now, if I'm still in the legislature, constituent come to me and say, you know, what in the hell have you been doing for the last 10, 15 years? up there. Hey, look at the bill I ran. Vote for me again. Great. Yay. But then we're at gridlock here in Lehigh. It's like, no, I've got to have some real effectual change. For sure. Your constituents need to actually be able to see you pass those bills and not be stuck on a one giant sea of cars down south for sure. Okay. So now we're going to go into the lightning round. So what is your most unusual talent? I'll say two things. First off, an, an unusual talent that is one that I haven't really explored since I was in junior high is I am a prodigious burper. <laughs> I can belch with the best of them and I always have been able to. So I don't know if that's a talent or a curse, but that being said, um, one of my talents that is not utilized very much anymore is I was in a alternative rock band for about 13 years from when I was 14 all the way up until just after I got married and uh, heavy metal. Uh, I played the guitar, lead guitar and vocals. We, we recorded a couple times and I am no longer in a band, but I do play the guitar fairly well. Um, my, my brother who was in the band and his, uh, and our drummer, Kevin, he, uh, they've both gone on and, and actually opened for Bon Jovi, uh, well, no, eight years ago down in Orlando. So they're still playing hard. I, I'm no longer doing the whole, 
band thing, but that, I did that for, yeah, like I said, about 12, 13 years. So I'm, I'm going to need those recordings. Those that's absolutely <laughs> necessary. I mean, if we are, if we're going to out Spencer Cox every couple of months on Twitter with his weird dad band thing that yeah. he does, I, and he's our next governor. I feel like we need to see some video. I honestly, I, I had one conversation with him about possibly putting a little gig together and then I never pursued it after that. Okay, so the next one, is a hot dog a sandwich? Well, I, I don't know what your definition of sandwich is. I mean, it kind of folds between buns and so you kind of eat it like that. I, I've never considered it a sandwich. I've always considered it a hot dog, you know, and okay. a hot dog is a hot dog, so. <laughs> Could you go 30 days without your phone? Uh, could I? Sure, if I had to. Would I want to? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what generation are you? Well, lately it feels like I'm part of Generation F, but um, <laughs> I was born in 75. So I guess I'm, uh, what is that? Is that a... You're an Xer, X? I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm Gen X. Yeah. But it, it, it's been feeling like Generation F. Sorry. Okay, what's your favorite jelly bean? You know what? I don't really eat jelly beans. I do like okay. lime. I like the flavor lime. I don't eat much candy. Okay. Um, I used to eat a lot of candy. Um, but really my, if I'm going to say what my favorite sweet is, it's homemade chocolate chip cookies. Like I can sit down and pound two or three dozen in a single sitting, which is <laughs> why I've put on weight. <laughs> yeah. Especially during the pandemic, you know, you're not doing anything. Actually I've lost 30 pounds in the last 90 days. So yeah. That's amazing. Props to you for that. Okay, so dogs or cats? We have both, but dogs are what I prefer, but my little girls like the cats, so we have both. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Not a politician. Um, <laughs> I was probably like a lawyer. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 uh, an astronaut. But I get I get motion sick really easy. So astronaut kind of and you know anything dealing with like the Air Force and flying probably is not for me. Yeah. Um, so quick. I was thinking a lawyer or business. That's kind of where I thought I'd always be, and that's kind of where I ended up. But then somehow got involved in politics. So that's the way it goes. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, flying, dude! You gotta fly. Like if I could just like take off and jump, yeah, that would be that'd be sweet. Plus it would help with rock climbing. So, you know. I mean, you wouldn't really be climbing all that much anymore, would you? You just kind of- Be the free soloist of all, and then not worry about it, right? Yeah, you just meet people <laughs> at the top, you know. See you guys. Yeah. Um, what is the worst movie you've ever seen? <sighs> well, the worst it could be defined, and I thought one of the most pointless and just awful movies was Natural Born Killers. I was like, what? like why are we even bothering? But like, just as far as like stupidity goes, oh man, that's, it's hard to, because like Dumb and Dumber is a classic and I know it's stupid, but that's a classic show. And I'm just trying to think like, I don't know what else there might be. Uh, I'm sure I've seen some stupid shows. I, I know I've walked out of shows. Oh, I got it. All of the Twilights. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, and I'll give you just a quick story. We're in movie number two and I'm sitting there and I'm 20 minutes into this just going, what am I doing here? And it gets that really intense scene at the end where she's like choosing between werewolf and vampire, werewolf and vampire. And some dude who's just like me in the back yells, just bite her already. And I just was like, okay, 
And I knew I was never going to see another one of those shows again. I hate those shows. <laughs> okay, what's your favorite movie? Um, I'm a huge Matrix fan. Um, I like the Inception. I love war movies, and especially that have a historical stint. So Saving Private Ryan, uh, Schindler's List is fantastic. I like movies that challenge me mentally. So like Tenant, you don't realize that the whole show is actually in reverse until you're at the end. Uh, Tenant's a great show. Um, so I like those shows that, that challenge you. I liked Interstellar, even though I know it didn't get a ton of great reviews. It just, I like the whole theory of relativity aspect, so. Okay. And what is the strangest text or email you've ever gotten from a constituent? Holy cow. So <laughs> my first session in the Senate, so four years ago, um, apparently there was this article in the Washington Post or something that talked about how these Chinese, or I should say uh, politicians in Hong Kong were going back and forth. One was an incumbent, the other was the challenger. And apparently the incumbent passed a ordinance or some sort of law that said you could not use the letter N in any signage. It was like a weird thing. Anyhow, this constituent read this. And the reason it was the letter N or whatever their equivalent is, is because his challenger had a lot of N's in his name. So he was, he was trying to affect his, his challenger's ability to post campaign signs. So I had this constituent who emails me and just pleading that we not outlaw the letter N. And I'm like, are you serious? And this dude was dead serious. And I don't know if he was like mentally all there or not. So I instructed my constituent to, I dictated to him and I wrote out a whole response. You know, there's no intention of outlawing the, the letter N. It's a vital part of our uh, alphabet and the way we would communicate. And there's no intention on the state level to outlaw the letter N. But then what I did is I had my, my intern go in and block out all the letter N's in my paragraphs <laughs> and send it off to him. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, they, uh, his one word response, clever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic story. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. And we will definitely be seeing a lot more of you during session. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate working with you.